0: Hi everyone, this is Criterion Channel Surfing, and I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Just a quick note before we begin today's show, apologies for getting these October episodes out so late in the month. Work obligations have had me putting in 12-hour days from home again, leaving little time, energy, or bandwidth for editing in my off hours. So the episode you're about to hear today is more lightly edited than usual. You'll hear all of our ums and uhs, our stammers and repetitions. But I'm really excited about all of the episodes I'm putting together from my October recording sessions. I have some really great guests, and the conversations were incredible. I hope you enjoyed listening half as much as I enjoyed speaking with John, Michael, Alana, and David. So, thanks for listening everyone, and now, here's the show. You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. John Lobinger of the Film Baby Film Podcast joins me today to discuss October's new releases and expiring titles, and Michael Hutchins stops by to check in about the state of Criterion's streaming library. Stay with us as we start Surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out Drinking While Talking, hosted by Jill Blake and Wade Sheeler. Classic film. Classic music, classic culture, shaken, and stewed. Every episode of Drinking While Talking, Jill Blake and Wade Sheeler discuss movies and music new and old with forays into pop culture from the past, as well as wherever the spirit takes them as they get progressively more spirited. Whether they're delving into classic film, desert island picks, quizzes, games, or misguided monologues, the question will always remain, how far can they get until everything falls apart? As the editors of theretroset.com, the premier clearinghouse for all things classic, you can catch their deep dives into movies, music, and lifestyle sober. Their hope on drinking while talking is to take the pretension out of discussing the classics as they make their way from the early 20th century through modern day by way of film, culture, politics, through the prism of their unique and personal lens, and booze. Find out more at theretroset.com. CriterionCast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at criterioncast.com. My guest today is John Lobinger of the Film Baby Film podcast. John, thank you so much for joining me today. It is so great to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite podcasts. And, you know, we were just talking off mic about some of, uh, talking about last year and, and everything that's been going on since, since Criterion Channel came back and uh, since you started your podcast, because uh, I was on the first episode. Mm -hmm. You know, so much has happened, and and sometimes it feels like uh, some of the things I'm grateful for are smaller on the scale of importance, but truly having having, uh, access to all these great movies and having the Criterion Channel has been great. But I think I have to also be grateful for this inspiring you to get your own podcast so I can listen to you every month.
0: (laughs) Oh, thanks, John. You know, I, I have to say that this has been a really fun journey, and... Uh, When I was thinking about um, what I wanted to do this October, I thought, you know, let me have John back on. I love uh, having conversations with you, whether it's on your show or here. And, uh, you know, you really helped me work out some of the kinks in the format and uh, learned a lot in this first go-around with you. And, uh, uh, you know, you also were the one who helped inspire me to break the show into smaller chunks so that i could get the episode out faster
1: well i also yeah when you're talking about the kinks what you're referring to is the fact that i all of my episodes run to like two hours long and so i helped you learn how to edit things down to manageable episode size so you're (laughs) welcome
0: well there's that but there's also just the the I, i think when we did our first episode together we um we went through each and every title in the new and expiring titles and talked at length about each and every title, even if we hadn't seen them. And uh, I think at that point, it became a speculating about each and every title.
1: Well, there's nothing I like more than talking about things that I have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> so that sounds right at home.
0: Um, but, uh, you know, I think in that we learned, you know, I learned that, uh, kind of just doing a a brief rundown of the titles and then kind of hitting on the highlights, uh, ended up being a better format for the show to keep it from running too long. And then I really did, I I still remember you, you shot me a, a message one day and said, Hey, you know, I know that you're, you're really meticulous in the editing, but, uh, You know, it might be a really good idea for you to release the new and expiring titles first as a separate episode, so that people can get those a little earlier. And uh, I thought, you know, that's a that's a really good idea. I should I should take John up on that uh, on that uh, idea. And um, breaking these up into three separate episodes has been a really uh, a a much uh, a much easier approach to it. It relieves some of the stress and pressure.
1: Well, yeah, and because the listeners. Many of us, I know I'm I'm speaking for myself, but I know that there are other people that have this same phenomenon where it's the expiring title paralysis of, oh my gosh, there are 90, 60 or 90 amazing titles that are expiring. Where do I focus my attention first? Because if I'm going to watch anything else this month, I need to just pick out the five, 10, 20 films that I need to see because I can't find them anywhere else and because they're particularly high quality. Your podcast is really is great at so many different things, but it's really great at that. So it's it's helpful to have that as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. And to bring people on who have things to say about uh, films, about filmmakers, who uh, can really provide maybe an entry point or to to provide some guidance into a few of those films and, and hit on some of those highlights, uh, I think is just been really really neat and really helpful for people so yeah I think it's been a great a great way to dive uh, to to get people into uh, just this avalanche of content that we get every month and and that gets removed from the channel every month
1: what would you say has been uh has this podcast brought into your life over the last year has it been because you've already done a lot of – you had already been doing a lot of podcasting, so you already got to have great conversations with people about movies. Is it, is it learning more about uh, the podcasting process and everything that goes into it? Is it that you're deepening your relationship with the movies that you're watching, or is it that you do – you get to go and reach out to people that you haven't gotten to speak with yet and have these fantastic conversations – Andrew, you know, I heard the episode with Andrew and Martin and then recently you talked to Becky Dana, like all of my favorite people. So, yeah, that must be really rewarding, right?
0: Yeah. And I think that that to me has been one of the things that has been the most exciting is that getting to start to reach out to some people beyond our usual criterion circles as well. You know, it's been a slow process. Uh we have a great a great group of podcasters that we are all in contact with, uh, whether it was from the the original twenty fifth frame group that the started out of or from the Criterion Cast group, um, that's been really really invaluable to have that bench of people that I can call from when I need to find guests, um, and to have people like Matt and Michael as regular and semi regular guests on the show, but uh, then to be able to start reaching out to people like Andrew who had just thrown something up on Facebook and said, Hey, check out these films in the Australian new wave bundle and see if he'd be interested in coming on. He's somebody that hasn't been on any of our podcasts to reach out to Martin who is on every once in a while, but he's in a different podcasting circle. Um, Becky, who has podcasted with you an awful lot. Uh, and, uh, and to have her come on. And then she actually pitched the Albert Brooks conversation to me as well. And then she's connected me up with some other podcast uh, connections as well. And I'm working on securing some other people. Uh, That's been really neat. And then I'm starting to look at other people and other voices as well to try to bring in people who aren't necessarily uh, a part of our normal podcasting community. Because I think that the more voices we can get in to talk about uh, these films, uh, the more perspectives we get. Uh, I just think it's, uh, it's really helpful. And uh, uh, to me, it's, it, it always opens my eyes too to, to hear from people that have a different approach to film. And uh, uh, it's been really exciting to do that. You're doing God's work, Josh. Thank you. Thank you, John. Well, you know, I also want to check in with you. How are things going with Film Baby Film? And I know that in the midst of the pandemic i know that you've had some some things like moves and other things and i know you've had to put some things on hold but how are things going with your podcast and uh what are you up to currently
1: so the how things have been going for the host of film baby film wonderful <laughs> i'm re- you know uh people that know me well know that i got engaged this summer and gosh uh the woman that i'm marrying is is terrific and she, but she uh, she also helped me get in shape so I've lost about 20 pounds recently mm. um, you know but but in terms of film baby film I'm still passionately watching movies I'm still listening to a lot of the same podcasts I was listening to but uh, I have not podcasted since the uh, since we went into lockdown here in New York City in fact we actually I recorded an episode a wonderful uh, episode on Eric Romere with uh matt gastire and it's still in the can and i've just never released it then i also had uh, mostly uh, negligence on my part but my soundcloud account locked up and so i haven't unlocked it and uh right now you can only get w- our last episode about passion of anna uh with uh, uh becky dana and dave Eves. that's the only episode that i have up right now so at this point, we're clearly on a hiatus, some of it just because mm-hmm. due to the negligence uh, of of the host, who is me. Um, but <laughs> I, I think also there's just been a part of me that has been sort of... And you'll hear this when I talk about the movies that I, I want to talk about and the things I've been watching lately. I've really just been... Um, like refocusing my energy a lot of it has just been like getting back to basics taking Mm. care you know taking care of myself taking care of the people that are around me i also feel like i definitely am excited to get back into podcasting in some form some form around film i'm not sure if film baby film will be in the same format when i get Mm. back to it but um yeah, I uh, mostly I've been consuming films and podcasts and much less of the podcasting myself. And I'm not sure when that's going to change. I'm not sure when I'm going to come back. But when I do, I'm sure people will get their money's worth.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that there is that that rhythm that you have to follow, right? That, that life rhythms hit. And also, you know, we are in the middle of a global and nationwide crisis and uh, I know that for me having the I think the only thing that has kept me kind of chugging away at the podcast over the last few months has been the fact that there is a regular schedule of content turning over right I think that if if there wasn't the new and expiring titles every month I don't know that I would um have quite the the energy and bandwidth for it. Uh, because I mean, we are in some strange times right now. And, um, I know that for me, my work has ramped up to a point where sometimes I'm putting in, you know, 80 hour weeks and, um, at the end of the day, it's really hard to get that energy to sit down and edit and, Uh, and still find time to balance out time with my spouse and to find time to, uh, to take care of myself and family and all of that. So no, I think I totally understand all of what you're saying there. And, uh, I know for myself, I've just started feeling some of that renewed, um, vigor and, uh, excitement to dive back into having more substantial conversations about the art that I'm consuming as well
1: I think I've been inspired by your podcast uh the polish of your podcast as well as uh, another podcast that I really admire how polished it is the magic lantern yeah I'm really inspired by those as well as I like the idea of doing longer format more writing focused Hmm. uh perhaps like mini season analyses, Uh, uh, perhaps Mm. it's of bigger trends or deeper dives into a director or collection of films or however I approach it. I'm thinking that when I get back into it, it'll be more like that. I still will push for conversations because at least half of the incentive of doing podcasts where you get to podcast with other people that share your passion is just the ability to connect with another human. That's just as passionate as you are. Yeah. Um, you know, across the country, wherever, at whatever time. It's one of the smu- the few consolations of technology today is our ability yeah. to be able to connect with uh, people that share passion from all walks of life that we might not necessarily bump into on the street. So I'll want to maintain that. But I am definitely, I've been thinking pretty steadily of different improvements I'd like to make in the podcast when I return.
0: That's great. Well, John, I will say that I, for one, I'm excited to see where you're going to be taking this and uh, can't wait to to hear what's next for Film Baby Film or whatever
1: the podcast may become. Thank you. Yeah, great. Now let's hear what's next from Criterion Channel All-Star Michael Hutchins. Yes. Well, John
0: and I are going to be back to talk about the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of October. But first, I am going to be checking in with Michael Hutchins, and we're going to be talking about the state of Criterion's permanent digital library. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, check out Just the Discs, hosted by Brian Sauer. Just the Discs is a podcast about Blu-rays. In each episode, Brian Sauer will go through a stack of disks from various distributors and talk about them. Find just the disks wherever you get your podcasts. I'm here with our good friend Michael Hutchins, a regular contributor to all of the Criterion channel and Criterion Facebook groups. Michael is here today to talk about the state of the Criterion Channel. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, thank you, Josh. Great to be here.
0: So, Michael, uh, when I you know th- we're at we're now at a year of doing the podcast, and I just thought it would be really good to check in on where we are with the channel, how the channel seems to be doing, and. Uh, uh, the, the type of content and some of the stats and I know we did this six months ago and uh so where are we now where does the channel stand now with the uh, <laughs> films and content uh it just it seems to just continue to grow right
2: yes it continues to grow at at one point I thought that we had gotten to more of a stasis state but uh but in the last six months that's been proven wrong even even you know in the COVID era, era, I thought there would be a uh, a lessening of certain certain types of programming, but no, they continue. So that's that's a great thing to know that it's not affected the service that much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so how many how many films have we been adding to the the channel each month?
2: Well, in the last six months, it's it's grown to uh, uh, a lot more than we did the first. And what, we'll, what we see is that uh, in the first 12 months, we only had uh, an average of 78 films each month. Mm-hmm. That average has now grown to more than 94 films per month in the last six months. Wow.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a few.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, but along with that, uh, the number of films being removed each month has increased as well by about mm-hmm. the same, same amount from 47 leaving on the average month the last six months, uh, 65 films leaving.
0: Okay, okay. It also feels like this last month, though, we have had maybe, um, this feels like the most manageable month in a long time for expiring titles.
2: Yeah, it was pretty low this month, only 45 films. So uh, it's not bad at all. Uh, what that means, I believe, is that uh, maybe my some of the rules that I just established the first year about how certain films are going to be leaving they're staying on longer than I expect. Normally, these would be the independent films. The studio films are pretty much staying in their normal three- or six-month engagements. Mm-hmm. But some of these uh, more independently distributed films, uh, for instance, like the films in the Tell Me bundle, I was so happy to learn that they were not, they're not leaving in October, which they normally would have. and yeah. uh, So those will be around for a little bit more. How much wow. longer, I can't say, but I, I do advise everyone to jump on those because that's a great bundle. Yeah. I, and personally, believe it's one of the best bundles uh, that the channel has had in its eighteen months. Wow,
0: what are we looking at in terms of just the the footprint of, um, you know, when we look at this month, you know, compared to maybe the rest of the the last six months? Because this this month just feels this month feels heavy. This month feels <laughs> like there's an almost unreasonable amount of content (laughs) that's been added. Uh, Um,
2: Yeah. uh, October was a very different month. We had 124 films added, which is way above the normal. So I didn't include this month in my totaling because I wanted to get more of the, the, uh, the six month span between April and September.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, because, uh, the month of October is the biggest month in the year and may actually be the biggest new month in the history of the channel. Oh, wow. But, uh, but we are we are we are seeing that this channel uh, the number of the numbers of films gradually increase almost every month. We mm-hmm. started back in April with uh, 2,000 films. This is featured films, and now we're uh, uh, over over 2,100. Uh, let's say uh, if we at, this month we got 2,188 films. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 a pretty big amount. And what's what's amazing is that uh, not only are the number of limited engagement films increasing, but we're also getting a lot of new permanent streaming films.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, in fact, this in these last six months, we've gotten as many films as we got the whole first year, twice as many. We've had wow. 30, 35 new films added to the permanent streaming library, and that's pretty big. It's, it's big. it's as big as it ever was maybe during the height of Filmstruck that they would add that many new films to their permanent library. Uh, and, and what, what we're finding is uh for instance, let's talk about uh some of the films that were added in those six mm-hmm. months. Uh like the four films from Adam Agoyan, three mm-hmm. films from Chantal Ackerman, uh three films from Fosbender, uh the two films from Jafar banahi, uh, Benahi, the Iranian director, and uh and th- and then the five films from the Jackie Chan bundle. Yeah. So it's it's been a pretty good six months when you think about uh the new streaming only films that are coming to the channel
0: yeah it it, and it seems to be running the the gamut and we're getting some new auteurs added we're getting you know some some really uh just incredible work some some other films by uh auteurs that the the collection has had an existing relationship with i mean this is just it's pretty pretty incredible i i was really happy to see that they didn't uh remove the jackie chan bundle i was a little worried that that was going to go away uh that was going to add an extra five films to try to work my way through in in addition to everything and uh, i'm glad i have time to to watch those
2: yeah, that surprised me, too, because it, it's almost like all the rules I had established about what was coming and going had just gone <laughs> out of the window. So you, I can, know. <laughs> you can imagine my surprise a few days ago to learn that those films had been taken off of the leaving list.
0: Yes, yes. When the, when they left, I did reach out to the the Criterion customer service, and right. I did ask and see if that was just an error. And they did say that it was an, an error, that they should never have been added to the the leaving this month lane. So uh, that was really good to hear.
2: Yes. (laughs) Well, I didn't have to establish any more new parameters about, uh, you know, limited engagement films. Exactly. Especially especially those films that open with both the Criterion collection logo and the Janice films logo.
0: That's what threw me off, you know,
2: that that was happy to learn.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, as I look at your, your list of the, the changeovers, the, films that were added and removed, you know, it does look like back in April, we had almost as many films added that month as were added this October.
2: It was close. Yeah. Uh, 115 films were added in, in April. And that's, that's the biggest we've had in the whole, the whole six month period. Yeah. And so I thought it was kind of getting to an average around 80 or so. Uh, and, and so, uh, that's why this month, uh, threw me for a loop. But then, mm-hmm. uh, also surprising this month is and this goes back to our discussion last month remember how i told you about how returning engagements were going to be around five percent yeah well it didn't happen in october (laughs) it jumped up to almost 10 percent of the new films that were added in october are return engagements Mm. so i I think it's that's that's a big amount even if you consider the number but even the percentage is pretty high but I think we're getting to that point as we discussed last month, where there's going to be uh, uh, an even greater chance of films that they had and were successfully streamed coming yeah. back to the channel.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, this is speculation on our part, right? Neither of us have an in with Criterion. We're we're uh, fans, uh, you know, doing yeah. our our best speculation and our best guesses. Exactly. But yes. part of me wonders whether the, the studios that they have set up licensing deals with there's, there's so much, there's only so much content that they have access to. And so it does make sense that they're going to continue to pull from, uh, some of the same, uh, wells and that we're we are going to end up seeing some of these films that have been on, in previous bundles, added to other bundles and recontextualized. And so, something that may have been part of a director bundle, we're going to see as part of an actor bundle. And so, where in the first case, we're looking at it in the context of a director filmography, we're going to look at it now in terms of an actor's filmography, or we're going to look at it in terms of a composer's work, or we're going to look at it in terms of a bundle on adaptations. And uh, you know, and I, I love that they have this ability to pull these films and, and we can examine them and look at them and, and enjoy them from all these different vantage points.
2: Exactly. It's like a a curator at a museum. They've moved their art around to different rooms, put different pieces together, you know, and you see them all in a different light. Yeah. And and another reason why October may be an unusual month is because we had the uh, the 70s horror bundle. Along with maybe about another two dozen horror films that didn't fit in with that bundle, but were still horror films. Yeah, and uh, more than half of the return engagements are horror films. So -hmm. that may have been what threw us off right there—just the fact that they, you know, it's October. They wanted to, you know, emphasize the horror films in their collection.
0: Yeah, yeah, and this this feels like even more horror than they had had (laughs) last year, right?
2: Oh yes, much more. Yes, especially with that uh, seventies horror bundle, which I think was. Over twenty-five films, I believe, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. A pretty large bundle.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, as we look back just on the state of their uh, their streaming, just in in general, uh, you know, how many how many films are we looking at that have streamed on the channel in total?
2: I'd say uh, almost three thousand films. Wow. We've got uh, 2,200 currently, and about 800 that have streamed and left. So yeah, almost almost 3,000. And uh, of that 2,200, 1,600 of them are uh, permanently in the library. So that's and if you add that to the uh, to the hundred films that I call the Criterion Channel Library, which are the shorts that they license. Uh, that yeah. comes to almost 80% of the total films. So when, we, when we're talking about limited engagements and we do spend a lot of time talking about those, it you know, it, it turns out to be only about 20% of the available films that's on the channel, you know. And yeah. I know you you try to offset that each month by talking about films that are in the permanent library.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know, as I look down on your notes, uh, you know, this is something that, I mean, you just, I, I love the fact that you break this all down uh, because it's it's pretty incredible here but uh you know you have you have broken this down into so many different categories but i mean we are looking at so many different subsets here i mean you're talking about films that were physically released uh, by criterion uh physically released on laser disc um uh why don't you break down a little bit when we're talking about the the films that were that were given physical releases versus the films that were uh, that are streaming only, what are we talking about in terms of the physical released film physically released films that are streaming on the channel? What does that look like when we're talking about that?
2: Uh, right now, out of the se- out of the twenty one hundred and eighty eight films on the channel, almost eight hundred of them have been released physically mm-hmm. on a Criterion. Uh, Spine numbered release. Then you you add to that, uh, 171 of them have been released uh, on the Eclipse series, mm. and then and then you add to that the the ones that have been uh, released on non spine numbered, uh, and non Eclipse releases. That includes the films uh, like in the uh, Anya's Varda box, mm. because that box never got a number, which yeah. means the films themselves never got a number. But, you know, that adds up to uh, over, over uh, 900 films right there wow. that were released physically uh, on disc that are now currently streaming on the channel. You know, and then all, there's almost, almost 400 films that are part of the permanent library that have never been released. And that's, you know, that's streaming only library. Yeah. And those go all the way back to the days of Hulu. You know, uh, over 200 films I uh, have... Uh, have started they first appeared on Hulu, and then during them struck almost a hundred films. And so far on the Criterion channel, we've had over forty films. Wow. and thirty five of those in the last six months. So you can <laughs> see how you know so they they really they're really uh, adding a lot of uh, streaming only films in the past in the past six months
0: yeah i mean they have ramped up those those streaming only titles and it doesn't seem like they're in any rush to get out physical releases of those either
2: yeah there were a few uh that we saw first on the channel that was the films that came uh in the world with well, three of the yeah. six films in the world cinema project uh, volume three yeah they were first seen on the channel that's uh soleol uh lucia and pisholte
0: yeah and yeah.
2: so uh those have been transferred now from a a streaming only my streaming only list to my physically released list list and that's the thing about it is you know uh, it's it's not a matter i mean these lists are constantly evolving it's almost like every day people talk about you know i talk about my list and it's not something that's set in stone I mean it's a, a non-static situation you know <laughs> yeah because and and, and and I enjoy it you know it's I, it takes up some time but, but I enjoy it and I and I, and I appreciate the uh, other people's appreciation of of the work yeah. I do for it you know
0: yeah that's great that's really great
2: and I will be uh, providing uh, uh, my research notes uh after this podcast is aired and I'll link it to the uh, Criterion Channel Club Facebook group if anybody wants to see all these figures.
0: They're, pr- they're that's pretty
2: you know, pretty impressive if I have to say so myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've done so much work in this and it's, it's great for yeah. people to be able to see just yeah. the breakdowns of this. I think that's really neat. Uh, something else that I find really fascinating here is just a breakdown of the the years that are of uh, films that are featured on the channel the decades that are represented oh, uh, yes. would you mind walking me through that a little bit
2: sure uh the oldest film is from 1915 so mm. what i did was i just let's say would take each decade you know starting in the 1910s and going up to the 2010s and uh so i broke those down and, and what we discovered is of course uh uh, the biggest decade is the 60s, and that's something that, that, was, that was the rise of Art House. So, you know, a lot of films yeah. are going to, from Criterion is going to be from the 60s. But, you know, a surprising number is from the last decade. Uh, that's uh, 10% of the films of the uh, 2100 films on the channel is from the 2010s. Mm. And uh, if you consider the 21st century, uh, over uh, 17% of the films were made in the last 20 years. So they're not really depending on, you know, the past, you know, they're, they're really uh, in the moment or, you know, and bringing on, bringing up modern films.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I find it fascinating that the, uh, it looks like the average year, the mean average year and the median year uh, are in the seventies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The early seventies. Yeah. yeah that, that just means like, you know, you've, you've got 60 years before and about about 50 years after, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, that's that's about the halfway point considering if you split the number of films on the channel
0: yeah yeah and i mean it does seem that we've had a lot of bundles that have focused mm-hmm. on the 70s we had 70s sci-fi we've had the 70s horror we had the 70s yes. style so the 70s have been a a really pivotal a pivotal decade for mm-hmm. some of the the featured bundles and the thematic bundles for the channel
2: yeah, and it seems those bundles are more often than not composed of uh, Hollywood studio films. Yeah, which I think in themselves is an attraction for for a, a lot of viewers, especially those who know Criterion by a certain. Uh, I guess their their image of what Criterion is, and then what the Criterion Channel itself is trying to do when it brings yeah. up the, when it when it streams these Hollywood films.
0: Yeah let's talk maybe a little bit about the, the regions and the countries that are represented by the channel. Where, where are these films coming from more often than not?
2: Oh my goodness. You know, almost half of them are come from Europe, which Mm. is pretty astounding of the 2,100 films. uh, Almost a thousand of them are from Europe. Uh, 350 is from France alone. Wow. And then about 200 from the United Kingdom. And then, uh, uh, the next biggest region is North America, of course. Mm. Uh, that's almost 700 films. Uh, then you've got of, of those, of course, the vast majority, 90% of those are uh, from the United States. And the United States makes up about 30% of the total number of films in the collection. Mm. And then after that, we've got Asia and the Middle East. And uh, that's dominated by Japan, of course. Uh,
0: yeah. Over
2: 350 films. And most of those are permanent films. Uh, they... They actually uh, stream very few limited engagement films from Japan.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: That's yeah, and mm. so I've uh, i am just surprised that they're not uh, choosing more modern. Of course, this month we have the new uh, bundle from South Korea. Yeah. And so South Korea really jumped up in the percentage as far as the number of films from Asia. Yeah. It's it's uh, still half what it is from from China in Hong Kong. Yeah. And then, uh, then of course that's trailed by um uh, Australia and then Africa and then South America.
0: Okay. I think it's interesting that we we really do see again some of the the blind spots in Criterion's yes. uh, yeah. collection.
2: Yeah. One percent, well a half a percent is from South America, only twelve wow. films. Mm-hmm. Even less than that, ten films from Africa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a pretty uh pretty dire when you consider you know the entirety of world cinema how few films are from south south america and africa
0: yeah so when we look at the limited engagements what are where are they getting the where are they sourcing their films oh where what studios what uh distribute distributors are they working with
2: Uh, i it's it's pretty spread out of course warner media is is the big the big gun? Mm. Yeah. they get almost all of their uh, well, not all of them, but of the four hundred and fifty films that are currently on the channel, fifty one of them are from Warner Media, twenty five from Kino, eighteen from Cohen Media, and it goes down from there. Uh, but it's it's pretty much spread out when you consider that uh, there's a lot of smaller distributors in there as well, mm. like like Zeitgeist and Milestone, you know, and Strand, which is Pretty big. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's growing as far as the number. Still pretty small compared to all of the Hollywood films.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that Warner Media seems to be the uh, the big the big gun yeah. in the the distributor or in the licensor right now. Well,
2: it's such a vast library when you consider the history of film. Of course, you've got MGM, Warner Brothers, RKO, you know, United Artists. All of those films are now under one umbrella so you know it's 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 not Mm -hmm. hard to see why so many films are uh coming from warner media yeah
0: uh with the the filmmakers who are represented this is really fascinating uh to to look at this this list uh we have our our friend kisuke kenoshita here at number one with 43 films
2: (laughs) yes and and surprisingly well that's not changed since our last get together talking about the state of the channel surprisingly his first film which was released on eclipse port of flowers is the one film that's missing from the channel Mm. and i have no idea why they're not streaming it it was it was it was licensed from shoshiku just like Mm. his other films but for some reason port of flowers just has never been available uh to stream on either filmstruck or the criterion channel So there's got, there's got to be reason beyond, beyond my my reasoning, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it is, uh, it's fascinating because our next two, next three, four, actually most of the rest of the ones Mm -hmm. on here, they all have better representation within the physical collection. Yes. And, uh, Kenosha, I think only has a handful of titles in the physical Mm -hmm. collection, and, uh, you know, his his representation within the streaming library is just, I mean, he just dominates every, you can't, it feels like you can't uh, scroll five films without running into a Kenoshena film.
2: Right. And uh, if you're listening, Criterion... Give us another Eclipse box with Kenosha Films. <laughs> I mean, the man had put out some great films. I know that maybe the the quality isn't there to release a blue ble- release it on Blu-ray or a spine numbered release. But my goodness, there's some great films in there which which yes. would really fill out two or three volumes uh, in the Eclipse series. You know, but after Kenosha, you you're talking about physical release. Of course, Bergman. We've got all of his films. You know, almost every one of his films that was in the box are now on the channel. There's just a few of the licensed films that are not there. But yeah. other than that, there's 39 films. And then, you know, then the lady steps up, you know. Uh, yeah. Anya Varda really yeah. jumped up in this list, of course, because more than uh, I think over 30 of her films were added in the last six months. So that that was that was enough to bump her up from like maybe I think she barely made the list last time because I was cutting them off, cutting them off at 15. Yeah. And now she has 38 films uh, in the actually streaming on the channel, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and uh, I mean, just looking at this list, and and uh, when you do release this to people, we just have some incredible, incredible uh, collections that have made their way here. And I think we only have like Bill Plimpton is, I think, the only one who's part of a limited engagement collection right
2: yeah he's the only one on my list of uh, because of the shorts you know out of his 22 films 15 were shorts yeah so uh you know he would drop off in a few months but you know as far as the current you know he he did make into the top 10 or 15 there
0: but but i mean we're looking at you know the the majority of the filmographies of so many great filmmakers. And I think Chantal Ackerman has been added to the list, right?
2: Yes. She, she moved up too, because Mm -hmm. they, they had uh, added a bundle of hers and not only added a bundle that included some limited engagement films, but also Mm -hmm. uh, more uh, permanent streaming library films like uh, golden eighties. Another film I highly recommend, you know, Mm -hmm. of course it's, it's permanent. It is a Janice film and it's going to be there. But it's, it's yeah. a wonderful film, you know.
0: That's neat. That's really neat. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the gender representation on the channel, because it seems like this is an area that they're really pushing, and that they're really using the channel to push for better gender representation.
2: Oh yes, uh, if we break it down into the three main areas of uh, that, I divide the their catalog into. Uh, well, let's look at the overall figures. Almost 15% of the films were directed by women, mm. and uh, over a, 159 women have films on the channel. Mm. 324 different films, and uh, that's uh, almost 15%. And then, uh, but if we break it down in the permanent library, uh, not as high. You know, uh, less than 9% are actually uh, women directors, mm. and then uh, of the limited engagements, this is when it starts growing. Uh, and this shows that they are making an effort. Uh, it's uh, over 28 percent of the limited engagement films are directed by women, mm. and then uh, and the biggest percentage of all is from the Criterion Criterion Channel Library, and that's uh, exactly half of the of those films are directed by women. Mm. And of course, most of those are shorts, and most of those are modern films. They've uh, you know been released in the last ten years or so. Mm. But that shows that the channel, you know, reaching out uh, and uh, finding short films by women directors that they want to yeah. highlight on their service.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. That's really great. Um, well, Michael, is there anything else that you came across in your research that kind of took you by surprise? I feel like every time you, you do this, you come across new facts and new bits of information that uh, that really kind of you find surprising and unique
2: well this time i i looked at the program uh on the channel not just the films they are putting on but all of the other the original mm-hmm. content yeah and, and for the first time i've started uh tracking that and um i'm surprised that even in the covid era era that we still are getting uh, some original content yeah now, i don't know how much of this was produced be- before march but uh in the six months uh between april and september We've had a surprising number of of uh, new original content mm-hmm. that includes oh, uh, twenty five introductions and, and interviews from the directors, uh, uh, ten introductions from programmers. Uh, we We have only gotten one adventures in movie going this year, which is sad because I really enjoyed that. And that yeah. was from the uh, Safti brothers. And we've had, we've only we've only had three observations on art uh, on film art. And those used to be coming once a month and now they're coming like every other month, you know, but those, those tend, I think those are actually uh, recorded in Wisconsin. Okay. And so uh, it could be that uh, it's just that uh, the professors that are involved in, uh, in that, in that original programming may be limited by uh, what's happening, you know, at the school.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, we've only had one art house America in in the last six months. And so, uh, Hopefully, you know, that that's something It's you know, it may, you know, it's it's going to improve eventually, but hopefully it'll come sooner than later. You know?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Talking about the uh, the theme bundles we've had in the past six months, I was I'm, I'm surprised that uh, it's almost as big as it was uh, in the first year.
1: Mm-hmm. And we've gotten
2: some major theme bundles and that's that includes like the Black Lives bundle yeah. and the uh, the Tell Me bundle. And mm. uh and, and then they're putting together films that, that are on their permanent library uh and trying to spotlight them, like the Czech New Wave and the um mm. Australian New Wave, which includes a lot of limited engagements, but it'll be yeah. with us for a while. Yeah. And yeah. then um and then we we've got the uh directors bundle, which really and directors and filmmaker bundle that includes the Saul Bass and the um, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto bundles, uh, and uh, those have really increased. And the number of women in those bundles, uh, especially in the directors, running around a third, thirty-five okay. percent, which is which is pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's been a, a very small, I mean, very significant decrease in the number of actor bundles. Mm. Uh, for instance, last uh, in the first year, we had more than twenty. We had more than twenty. I'm thinking about. More than twenty actor bundles in the last six months, we've only had six. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not sure if, if if somehow they're they're trying to reemphasize or redirect their curation towards more of the filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know, not to say the actors aren't part of the filmmaking process, yeah, but I suppose that you know they' they're they're, they're uh, actually you know just kind of uh, spotlighting the directors of the films
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's really fascinating to to see how that has shifted and changed over the last 6 months yeah uh well michael thank you so much this is always a pleasure to talk to you and always a pleasure to get such great information uh and uh i feel like it's easy to just uh be stunned every time we get a new announcement each month and <laughs> yes. uh, it it's fun to really dig in and look at the trends and see yes. what what actually has been going on
2: well it's great i'm i'm, I'm enjoying these every month
0: yeah so let's, yeah. let's
2: keep it up yeah
0: that, definitely definitely well where can people find you online
2: i'm in the criterion channel club on facebook also criterion now you can find my list on Letterboxd under michael hutchins and uh pretty much uh every other criterion uh related group on facebook those are just those are just the groups that i'm more heavily involved in
0: that's great that's great well we'll be right back with more criterion channel surfing as john and i continue our conversation by talking about october's new releases and expiring titles stay with us If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out Criterion Reflections, hosted by David Blakesley. Join David and his guests on their chronological journey through the films of the Criterion Collection. Each episode provides an in-depth discussion into the cultural context for the films discussed and covers Criterion releases on DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, and the Criterion Channel. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with John Lobinger, and we're getting ready to dive into the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of October. All right, um, John, so before I do the rundown of all the titles, I just want to get uh, some just brief, quick thoughts on the slate uh, for October, because it feels like this is just crazy.
1: Yeah, it is just crazy. So being brief is difficult for me. So I'm going to just do three <laughs> quick points. Yeah. Point number one, and this cannot be emphasized enough, Michael Hutchins is a national treasure.
0: Yes. Yes, of course he is. Yes.
1: Number two. Um, oh, gosh. With the Criterion channel, it's easy to go into hyperbole. I feel like almost every month or every other month, let's say every other month, I say to myself, Wow. This is the best month yet in Criterion Channel. And so I'm I'm going to say it again. This is the best month ever in the history of the Criterion Channel. Uh yeah. there are so many movies that really run the gamut whether it's Whether it's my Sight and Sound 250 list, some movies that I needed to see from that, specifically Caché, which I know I could rent somewhere else, but I'd much rather get it from the Criterion channel. It just feels more organic that way. You know, whether it's directors I've been meaning to dive more deeply into, uh, specifically Pedro Acosta. And then it's Halloween is coming up. And so getting into... The 70s horror bundle? And who hasn't been sitting around thinking, I need to watch more Korean cinema after after Parasite winning uh, Best Picture? Everybody's been thinking that. This is an absolute celebration of a month. But point number three, Black Christmas. We're going to talk more about that film. I already told you I'm wearing the t-shirt, but having Black Christmas pop up on my feed as uh, uh being a part of the criterion channel for the next several months was just, just blew my mind. We are so lucky to be alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone who, you know, I came to horror late in, in life. I started watching horror with some of the more sanitized horror films that were coming out in the nineties. Um, I was always—I've always been a little squeamish when it came to horror, and have just started getting into some of the the more classics of horror, uh, uh, some of the giallo stuff, and am dipping my toes into stuff. So the '70s horror—I'm—I'm I'm a little—I've uh, got a little bit of trepidation on, and I've got uh, two guests that are going to be. Uh, throughout this this grouping of episodes that are going to help guide me through the '70s horror bundle, uh, and I think this is going to be really helpful for me to kind of uh, do that. And I'm excited to talk to you about more about '70s horror. Um, so I think that's I, I'm excited to have these here so that I can kind of um, d- dive into this this time period and this this grouping of films that uh, you know I've I've kind of um, backed away from, uh, most of the time. So I think this is going to be, uh, exciting to see. I am really excited for the, the Marlon Riggs films, uh, as well. That's my, I'll talk about more about that. But, uh, when I had my uh, conversation with the, the founder of Ovid TV, he was talking about, uh, the work of Marlon Riggs and, uh, uh, i had never heard of Marlon Riggs before. And so to be introduced to to his work there and to know that we're going to be getting these films uh, uh, is really exciting as well.
1: Yeah, Marlon Riggs. Um, Marlon Riggs is somebody I know just because I often will filter letterboxed lists by average um average rating to see what are the best rated films from the other people on Letterboxd and he Mm. is somebody that continually comes up as just a really well regarded director that I just didn't know that much about and I've been watching more I've been watching more uh, film by black directors but also uh as we've discussed before I really enjoy queer cinema. So yeah. you know having this having having this film collection is such a celebration. And also another director we're going to be talking about, I've been wanting to watch The Ornithologist since mm, it came yeah. out. And yeah. I, I oh gosh, this month it's too much. Yeah.
0: It well it, and something that uh I realized last month as I was doing the rundown as I was doing the rundown, I you know I kept thinking, okay, this is great. There's a lot of great stuff, and then I keep going, and there's still more really great stuff as you keep going on. And uh, this is what always just blows me away about the the months with Criterion. Um, there is so much incredible content, and uh, each day is packed with new films that they're highlighting. And uh, yeah, I. Like you said, what a time to be alive. <laughs> this is a this is incredible. Well let me let me get into the, the rundown here. I'm gonna to run through this as quickly as possible. Uh, starting off we have directed by Pedro Costa with Casa de Lava, Osos Invanda's room, Colossal Youth, and Vitalina Varella. We've got that 70s horror bundle, which features Trog, The Vampire Lovers, Daughters of Darkness, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, uh, a whole lot of other things, including The Crazies. Uh, We have The Return of the Wicker Man, Black Christmas, Death Dream, The Witch Who Came from the Sea, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Driller Killer... um, there's too many films in this to, to name them all, but it's uh, just a. Oh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. How could I forget that? I mean, this is, this is just an incredible bundle of, uh, of films. We have directed by Barbara Koppel with Harlan County, USA, and American Dream. We have Watching the Polls with Primary, The Best Man, Shampoo, The Last Party, The War Room, and Election. We have another really packed bundle with starring Joan Crawford. That includes The Unknown, Our Dancing Daughters, Our Modern Maidens, Possessed, Grand Hotel, Dancing Lady, and it goes all the way up to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Jacket, and uh, includes her final film, which is also in the 70s horror bundle, Trog. Um, we have films by Jenny Olsen. We have the feature films Joy of Life, The Royal Road, and the shorts Blue Diary, 575 Castro Street, and In Nomini Patri. We have that Race, Sex, and Cinema, The World of Marlon Riggs bundle, which includes the features Ethnic Notions, Tongues United, Color Adjustment, Black Is, Black Ain't, I Shall Not Be Removed, The Life of Marlon Riggs, which is directed by Karen Everett. And we have the shorts Long Train Running, A History of the Oakland Blues, Affirmations, Anthem, and Non Je Ne Regrette Rien, or No Regret. And then we have a bundle of films that are inspired by Marlon Riggs, which includes Walk For Me, 100 Boyfriends Mixtape, A Drop of Sun Under the Earth, The Labyrinth 1.0, and A Guide to Breathing Underwater. We have women filmmakers of New World Pictures, which includes The Student Nurses, The Velvet Vampire, Humanoids from the Deep, Slumber Party Massacre, and Suburbia. We have directed by João Pedro Rodrigues with O Fantasma, Two Drifters, To Die Like a Man, and The Ornithologist. And it also features the short uh, autobiographical uh, film, Where Are You, João Pedro Rodrigues? We have the New Korean Cinema Bundle with The Quiet Cinema, Nowhere to Hide, Barking Dogs Never Bite, The Foul King, Joint Security Area, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, A Tale of Two Sisters, Crying Fist, Lady Vengeance, The Host, and Mother. We have directed by Catherine Breillat, with romance, Fat Girl Bluebeard, Sleeping Beauty, and Abuse of Weakness. We have six films by John and Faith Hubley, with the features of Stars and Men, Everybody Rides the Carousel, the shorts Date with Dizzy, Tinder Game, Moonbird, and The Hole. Uh, part of that, that Pedro Costa bundle, we have the streaming premiere of Vitalina Varela. We have the Saturday matinee uh, of The Yearling, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Buck Privates, Kikaroo and the Sorceress, and The Illusionists. We have Criterion Collection editions of Videodrome, Cat People Town, Bloody Hall, Trouble in Paradise, Burroughs the Movie, The Devil's Backbone. We have individual titles of We Need to Talk About Kevin, Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. And then we have the double features of Peeping Tom, Odd Obsession, The Blob and Beware the Blob, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Sisters, Christine and Kate Plays Christine, and Nosferatu and Nosferatu the Vampire, the short plus features of Dear Boy and Antichrist. Uh, we have Influenza and Cachet. We have Dirty and Weekend. It's Not Just You, Murray, and The Public Enemy. We have the observations on film art of the voice in Usman Sabin's Black Girl. Then finally, we have a new addition to the pre-code Joan Blondell bundle with The Public Enemy. So yeah, I mean... This is just uh, this is just wild. All of the stuff that's in there, uh, it's it's crazy. So let's just dive right into our recommendations and help people figure out on figure out the things that they need to watch. John, what do people need to watch out of this month? Out of these uh,
1: films that are coming in today, they need to watch Black Christmas. Oh wait, you want me to say? Oh more yes, than that? yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just no, I mean so. I'm new to the game when it comes to black christmas. I, and this happens to me a lot because of the fact that I think of, it sounds a little bit like you where I work I've worked backwards in time in mm. my uh cinephilia where I started off watching all the stuff that was of the era when I was yeah. in when I was in high school and in college and then at, and then after i graduated from college then i like worked my way backwards until now you know i'm listening i'm watching the silent films and all that other stuff so i just saw black christmas for the first time last year and it immediately it was like it was like re, it was like being a literature student and finally hmm. reading macbeth or hamlet hmm. not knowing that there was this motherload <laughs> of you know this source from which so much of what i've grown to love sprung forth from. but i think mm. also similarly when i went back and i finally saw black christmas and i began to realize like oh my gosh this is the missing link this is mm. you know this is such an integral part of of the slasher history in north america i was still constantly surpri- surprised and invigorated by the different choices made in the film. this is a film that feels fresh even though it's been imitated and it's inspired so many different movies in so many different ways the slasher genre obviously but i think even broader in horror and just in general in american films but yet rewatching the movie and i just watched the movie for the third time last night i just i'm constantly finding new things that i love about it and continually reaffirmed my initial take which is like this is a fresh vibrant film regardless of the history of it and You know, there are debatable points about the film. Is it the first North Mm. American slasher? Obviously, Bay of Blood um, is a huge influence from Italy. And then Psycho um, has Peeping Tom. There are all these great films, and you can debate back and forth on what's first. But, you know, putting all that aside, this is a movie that is just filled with good stuff to enjoy. Uh, Great horror. I find it scary. I find it tense. I find the characters believable and engaging. Uh, The politics of it, you know, all slashers have to deal with or should deal with or all viewers of slashers have to deal with the battle between misogyny and what you're seeing on, on the screen. And so this is a movie like that just from the jump almost seems to address the issues of misogyny within the film and this you know is arguably the first film of its kind mm. so mm. seeing seeing such a mature uh interesting thoughtful movie that has all these intellectual rewards and it's many layered and you know it's just great um but also just it's just a fundamentally enjoyable film that is filled with tone and 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 fear and you know, beautiful cinema. It's just a wonderful film um, that I just think is rewarding to see over and over again. I envy anybody out there who is in the position I was in last year and hasn't seen this film yet because watching it for the first time was, was so amazing. And so, hmm. yeah, Black Christmas, I cannot recommend it enough. I, re- I called somebody up before I did this podcast yeah. to make sure that my friends are watching Black Christmas.
0: That's really, that's really good to know. This is one that I have not seen. And uh, you know I've always been curious about the fact that Bob Clark, the director of A Christmas Story, directed Black Christmas. And it has, it has felt like such a weird thing. And to hear you really talk about the craft and the skill and the, the, the intellect behind it, uh, really sells me on it and really really helps me uh, understand that uh, this isn't just a just a cheap exploitation film but that there is something more thoughtful behind it and it gets me really excited to check this out.
1: The, se- the 70s horror films will really run the gamut in terms yeah. of quality. In fact, it's almost... I don't know if it was a built-in function. I don't know if it's a function or flaw issue, but the 70s yeah. horror f- filled with so much passion and some of it's shocking and there's so many great things packed into them. But high quality is not really where many of these films... Uh, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't categorize them that way. But this movie, that is one of the aspects that's really rewarding about this is this is also sort of a technical masterpiece just from the craft mm. of making a film. Yeah, I, I could go on. That's
0: great. No, that, that, that makes me very excited. Um, you know, I normally watch, end up pushing most of the, my, my viewing over onto the expiring titles, but this is one I will probably have to watch uh, this month to get in some good Halloween viewing. Thanks for this recommendation, John uh what else do you have to recommend to us
1: so uh the second film i as we mentioned regarding marlon riggs this is a name that i just recently have become familiar with and become aware of and i've been seeking out his films but it wasn't until criterion channel added the marlon riggs bundle that i finally got to check out black is black ain't um which is a very interesting film I don't want to compare it to anything else. I don't want to compare it to Chris mm. Marker or any of the other sort of film essay makers, partly because it's not an inaccurate. it's not an accurate reflection. But this is a movie that is defies categorization a little bit. and I think that's also the point of the film. It's mm. to push the boundaries on what people do when they start categorizing things, even when it's in a positive light. But when I tried to categorize it, I, I think I went with like a dialectical autobiogra- autobiography mm. where it feels like Marlon Riggs made two movies and then uh, sued them together. One movie is almost like an academic analysis of blackness in America. And then another one is about his late stage struggles with uh, HIV and AIDS. And so we have... Professors, writers, civil rights movement leaders talking about what it means to be black, both the many positives in terms of building a community and and uh, all the things that they've done to, um, you know, to build their community as well as to uh, uh, fight injustice. But then also for Marlin and some of the other people on his podcast, particularly around queerness in the '80s, and um, talking about how sometimes being a part of a community, a defined community, defined externally and internally, was a little bit stifling, uh, particularly around issues of sexuality and not necessarily Mm -hmm. being within the, you know, some people's categorizations that way. And so it's it's a really wonderful picture. It's particularly harrowing because we know that Marlon Riggs did eventually pass away from AIDS. Mm -hmm. And so reminding us of the travesty of, of that epidemic uh back in the 80s um and just overall this is like a very human very moving film but also definitely a lot to chew on in terms of some of the same injustices that have been you know that are being portrayed from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s continue right up until this day yeah and then to juxtapose that with the sickness and the, uh, the pain that Marlon himself was going through, and yet still to be able to continue to make art and to continue to try to inform and challenge and, uh, you know, just, just put himself out there into the world in a way that you can't help but be inspired by. Um, uh, just a really terrific film about mm-hmm. the complexity and nuance of being a human, being any type of human, a black human, a white human, a queer human, just... Just the nuance and complexity of being human and defining yourself and being defined by others. It's a wonderful yeah. film um, and can't recommend this enough either.
0: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really, really powerful. Um, yeah, that sounds really, really fantastic. Great, great recommendation. Uh, what are some of the things that you're going to try to catch while they're on the channel?
1: So Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a movie that I first heard about from You Must Remember This. Um, I think they did, I don't remember if it was one episode or if it was a series of episodes about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, But this is a movie I've wanted to watch for quite some time. And I think this falls into the horror category or it's horror adjacent or whatever. Um, It definitely feels like this is the perfect time to watch this. I was going to watch this regardless if this popped up on Criterion Channel or not. And now I get to get it from <laughs> what is probably, you know, one of my favorite, my favorite streaming service for sure. But just overall, one of my favorite uh, ways to watch movies is watching them on the Criterion channel. So, yeah, I'm pumped to watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I think this is a a really great film to watch during during the month of, of October. There's this, uh, it's just kind of, while it may not be horror, it has that kind of macabre sensibility. And that kind of gothic, it's not quite a gothic romance, but it has some of the trappings of gothic uh, romance in it. And so, yeah, I can totally, I can totally see this, this fitting in with uh, kind of a horror sensibility. So yeah, I'll be
1: excited to hear your thoughts when you watch it. Uh, Anything else that you're going to try to catch? So the new Korean cinema bundle, um, you know, put me on the list of the many Americans the Amer- many american film lovers who after parasite won the oscar said i'm going to watch more korean film now i do have to admit there's this weird petty reaction that i had when parasite won which you know most of my most of my liberal culture vulture friends who aren't as deep into cinephilia as as we are um, they sort. They were celebrating, they were saying, oh, this is so great, this is so great for international film and for non-English language film, and all of that's true, but my immediate knee-jerk reaction was sort of like, oh, have you guys even seen Burning? Or, you know, have you seen Memories of Murder? Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, I think I've grown out of that, because uh, that is very petty, and I'm glad <laughs> that I'm not doing that anymore. And really, just now, I, you know... There's still so many films uh, from South Korea that I'm excited to see. In this bundle alone, you know, Mother and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance have been on my radar for quite some time. But really, any of these, I think there's a new film I'd never even heard of. I think it's called Nowhere to Hide that just looks great. And so this bundle just, again, this is a month. It's an embarrassment of riches uh that's a phrase that gets used too much nowadays but this is an absolute this is an embarrassment of riches um what a what a what a great next few months it's going to be uh diving deeper into this and so many other bundles
0: yeah i uh i watched mother for the first time just recently i have the disc and uh i've been slowly working my way through bong joon ho's films and that's one that just blew me away. Um I think it's uh incredible and uh, I have not yet seen the the vengeance trilogy from Park chan Wu. and uh so I'm I'm really eager to to dive into that and Lady Vengeance and there's so many other incredible films that I don't know anything about. So yeah, this is one that I am I'm here for, I'm here for all of these and, um, uh, very eager for this. Uh, I would have loved to see, um, more, uh, from Lee Chang Dong. Uh, I would have loved to have had burning in here, even though I've seen it already, but, um, I'd love to get more people watching that. Uh, cause I do think, you know, as you've said, it's, it's one of the, the great films of the last, you know, decade and, uh, needs to get more eyes on it
1: yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. um and we know that yeah we do know we know for sure that um memories of murder is going to come out yeah. on physical release so that'll that's going to get many views and i think it's going to be well well loved yeah no this is a this is one of the bright spots of international cinema coming into america right now there's nothing there's you know there's nothing to do around this except to be excited that people that aren't Necessarily subscribing to the Criterion Channel or whatever, eventually they're going to get to see films with subtitles um, yeah. because because of of that Oscar award, and that's just that's just wonderful. This is one of the uh, Korean cinema is one of the treasures of modern international cinema. So how how lucky are we?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, uh, I am I'm really you know I'm, I'm glad you brought up Black Is Black Ain't uh, because I'm super. Uh, excited to catch all of the, the Marlon Riggs films. I think this is the the bundle that I am most uh, looking forward to this month. Uh, I mean, how, how do you choose among incredible bundles? But uh, this is the one that I think I'm most interested in. I'm, I'm becoming really uh, drawn to these uh, documentary filmmakers that are, are doing things, uh, maybe in more essayistic fashion, uh, in less, uh, less straight documentary fashion. And, um, and, uh, I'm really, really intrigued by, uh, his work and his exploration of the black experience in America and the black queer experience in America as well. And, um, to not only have his films, but to have filmmakers who have been inspired by his work, uh, this just is is something that I feel like is is going to be a real wealth of uh, uh, of experience here. So I'm I'm really excited to to really dig into these these films and to to ruminate over the issues and the ideas that he's going to be presenting. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of a lot of things to chew over. Uh, uh, during the next few months with his work, so uh, I think that's the stuff that I'm most excited to catch uh, uh, over the next few months.
1: Yeah, I've just started with with Marlon Riggs, but it does feel like he his films are like a big jambalaya of ideas with lots of different things, and the you know the one ingredient holding it all together is is just the man's voice. And it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you. I'm really excited to catch more from this bundle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um i'm always thrilled when criterion does their streaming premieres and uh, so the you know the pedro costa bundle is really cool but i'm probably most excited about the streaming premiere of uh, vitalina varela i think um this is one that has been getting rave reviews uh as it's made its virtual theatrical premieres uh uh, but it also uh, getting getting it on the channel so soon uh, is just pretty incredible, and the fact that we have been getting so many uh, so many of these incredible art house films this year, between this, between uh, Corpus Christi and Zom- uh, Zombie Child and. I mean, the it feels like every month we're getting uh, an exclusive streaming premiere of a new release this year, and uh, it's it's a great way uh, for me in Seattle, where everything has been shut down and uh, our art house cinemas are closed, and um, it's it's incredible to be able to to have access to these films. And, um, through a service that I subscribe to already and that I'm already, um, uh, invested in here and, um, I'm really, really excited to get the chance to see this, this film. Uh, and I've heard really good things about it. So yeah, I'm excited to continue to round out my favorite films of, uh, 2020 list by, uh, diving into some of these releases.
1: Yeah. This might be the movie if I had to choose only one of the new movies, Um, this month that I haven't, I haven't watched already, this might be the one that I would choose to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm excited too. I, it's just, it's,
0: it's great that we're getting this stuff. Uh, I, you know, I have to, I have to give criterion props for continuing to, to push, push out contemporary cinema like this. It's great. I really want to recommend, uh, Gia Pedro is The Ornithologist. I haven't seen his other films yet, and so I'm eager to dive into those, but uh, I saw The Ornithologist at the Seattle International Film Festival a few years ago, and it is this uh, intriguing and surreal, hypnotic fable um, that um, kind of leaves you a little breathless by the end. Uh, it is a... A parable. There's there's these these elements of magical realism. This it's the story of a an ornithologist who goes out and uh, he he gets lost and undergoes uh, a transformation and uh, his story begins to parallel the story of a a saint and he begins to take on the life and the the manifestate he begins to manifest the life of the saint and the the physical appearance of the saint and. Uh, it's this in, incredible work of spirituality and of, uh, queer identity. And it, it infuses all of these things together in this intriguing, uh, blend of, uh, uh, exploring your identity and, uh, what it means to, to be human, to be, to, to f- discover yourself as you lose yourself. And, um, it's an incredibly, incredibly beautiful film that you just kind of um, lose yourself in, and uh, I'm really uh, eager to to uncover more of his work. And um, uh, yeah, it's just it's a, it's one of those films that's kind of um, hypnotic and uh, it carries you along on its rhythms. And so yeah, I I just highly recommend uh, people uh, catching this one. I'm totally sold. Yeah. It's one that I feel like it's going to be easy to overlook because hes uh, it's a filmmaker that not a lot of people know about. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is one to definitely highlight. It may not be for everyone, but, uh, uh, John, I think you might at least uh, get, you know, I, th- I think that you're definitely someone who w- is going to be more predisposed towards liking it than not. Oh, absolutely. And then finally, uh, I'm really uh, happy that we're getting this bundle by Catherine Brayal. I think that she is a really fascinating filmmaker. I know that she is uh, somewhat provocative and controversial, uh, and uh, but I I really am always intrigued by her work, and uh, I I enjoy kind of her confrontational style and uh, the way she approaches women's sexuality and the way she really explores what it means to be a woman and a uh, a girl growing up in in society today the the bundle itself has some of her early work and some of her late work and her late work she's taking on revisionist fairy tales and looking at the ways that those fairy tales shape women's perceptions of themselves. And uh, I just think her films are really, really uh, fascinating. They're cerebral. When I think of Catherine Braille, I often think of Michael Hanukkah, even though they have very different styles, but they're both very confrontational filmmakers that sometimes, their work is sometimes really, really disturbing. Sometimes it's really off-putting, but it's always done with a... uh, a real eye towards getting you to think through uh, some social issues, through uh, the, the relationship of the, the character, of the body, of the, the person to society and to societal norms. And uh, I think Catherine Braille is a, a filmmaker that I just think her work is, is really, really intriguing and is uh, worth uh, doing some deeper dives into. I'm finally getting back into being able to get polls out into our Criterion Channel Club Facebook group. And, uh, I always find it interesting when I'm able to do this and see what people are excited for in the, uh, new releases. And, uh, it should come as no surprise that the number one bundle for people, the thing that they're most excited for is the seventies horror bundle. I think that was the thing that took everyone by surprise and, uh, got people really, really excited when that was announced. The second thing on that ranking was the New Korean Cinema Bundle, uh, followed by the starring Joan Crawford set, and then followed by the Criterion Collection editions. And I would imagine that a lot of the horror titles there would be a big draw during this month, things like Videodrome and The Devil's Backbone um, and uh, for people that can't catch those. So, yeah, so I think that's a, you know, that makes sense. That those are the films that people are really, really eager to catch out of that bundle.
1: Yeah, I would have, I would have guessed the those three, the first three in the poll would have been the top three. I could have imagined that new Korean cinema maybe would have edged out '70s horror, but this is the yeah. It as soon as, soon as I saw what was in the '70s horror bundle, it uh, it was, yeah. was eye popping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, to have heavy hitters like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, as kind of some of your leads, I mean, that's a, that's a major work of 70s horror. And to have that on the Criterion channel is, I think, a major get for Criterion. For sure. Well, as I like to say, Criterion gives and Criterion taketh away. <laughs> we are losing we are losing uh some films this month it's actually not uh as bad as uh as in previous months um i think we had originally counted something like 50 some titles and that has dropped down a little bit uh in the The time since we first started looking at this, there had been uh, a bunch of Jackie Chan films that were uh, that it looked like were leaving, but we have since learned that that was a uh, an error in the coding at the beginning of the month, and those are have been saved; those have all been saved from the chopping block. So, that's uh, that's good for people that didn't want to try to plow through all of the early Jackie Chan films. Um, but we do have some, some pretty uh, significant films that are leaving, and a couple with some pretty significant running times as well. Uh, so I'm going to just do a, the quick rundown here. Uh, first off, and I think this is important, um, from the Starring Joan Crawford bundle, we have one that is only available for a month. So get on this if you want to watch it. Uh, we are losing Grand Hotel this month. Um, we're losing most of the Albert Brooks films, which just came on last month. So we're going to be losing real life, lost in America, defending your life and mother. It looks like modern romance will be remaining on the channel, but that could also be a glitch in the system. So, uh, if you're really eager to catch that, I would still recommend catching that as well. Uh, we're going to be losing the three by Si Ming Liang, rebels of a neon God, the wayward cloud and stray dogs. From the directed by Chantelle Ackerman bundle, we're going to be losing No Home Movie. We're going to be losing all of the short films by the Quay Brothers. From the Tell Me Women Filmmakers, Women's Stories bundle, we're going to be losing Privilege. We're going to be losing the entire 3 by C.O.D. Mac bundle, The Phantom Lady, The Killers, and Crisscross. We're going to be losing 3 by Bill Gunn with The Angel Levine. We're going to be losing three by from the three by Diane Curry's bundle. We're going to be losing Entre Nu and Children of the Century, but Peppermint Soda does remain on the channel, and I believe that's part of the permanent collection. From the three by Jacques Rivette bundle, we will be losing La Belle Noise. Uh, the other two films in that bundle are part of the permanent collection. Uh, from the starring Alain Delon bundle, we'll be losing Once a Thief. From the Bad Vacations bundle, we'll be losing The Deep and Bonjour Triste. From the buy the Book bundle, we'll be losing The Virgin Suicides and The Hours. From the Australian New Wave bundle, we'll be losing uh, Gallipoli. From the Palme d'Or winners, we'll be losing Uncle Boonmee, who can recall his past lives. We'll be losing It Felt Like Love, and I believe we'll probably be losing the two shorts that are attached to that. Those aren't listed in the the list of expiring titles, but they are categorized as special features, so those two shorts will probably be going as well. We're going to be losing Saturday matinees of uh, Little Fugitive, The Secret Garden, The Little Prince, and The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. We'll be losing Criterion Collection editions of Brazil and Sullivan's Travels, and then we're going to be losing the uh, titles, these are all films that are, were part of double features or were attached to other films. We're going to be losing, uh, only angels have wings. And then we're going to be losing the other two versions of the killers, the Siegel version and the Tarkovsky version. Um, so that's not a, you know, that doesn't feel like an unmanageable amount of films to lose, John. I feel like
1: that may, we may actually be able to make it through all those films. I mean, Josh, I'm a, I'm a, criterion channel hoarder i don't want to lose anything but um <laughs> but yeah there are true. definitely there are definitely some good films in here i'm gonna to want to catch before they go away yeah yeah yeah
0: well uh, you know because you know not all of us have time i mean this is a month where I have crazy work obligations, and so the the chances of me actually watching everything are pretty pretty small. Uh, what what do you recommend people catch that uh, before they leave the channel? What are some films that are just kind of absolute must sees?
1: Well, so I have a I have a couple of films here I want to talk about, but also just to make the obvious observation, uh, Grand Hotel won Best Picture, and so for those of you trying to complete your um, Best Picture list on Letterboxd, or just you know as a as a bucket as a bucket list item to complete, uh, I'm probably going to try to cre- catch Grand Hotel before it leaves the service um but in terms of the films that i that i've seen on this list that i love and i would definitely recommend people check out both of these i think a lot of your listeners are already aware of these films but uncle boon me uh by a pitch cool? uh this is one of my favorite directors he's one of the world's best living directors and this is one mm. of his best films so yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, everything this guy makes is, is is magical. Like I said, I think most people who listen to your podcast have already formed an opinion one way or the other uh, on, on Joe. Uh, but I would say for anybody that hasn't seen a pitch pong where *A set a cool film yet, I just want to recommend that you give him a couple of chances. Because I know the yeah. first time I saw a film of his, Cemetery of Splendor, in the movie theater, I was completely puzzled. I had no idea what I would just seen. The only thing I was certain of was that that was not a movie. Um, and yet now, you know, I've seen, I, I don't know, uh, seen his films 10 times since. And just mm-hmm. every single, I, I'm just, I'm excited talking about Uncle Boon Me to go back and watch some of some of his films. Cemetery of Splendor, interestingly enough, is my favorite, a pitch a ethical movie. <laughs> and I literally had to, I looked at my friends the first time I watched it and said, what was that? Um, mm-hmm. So just, it's always a nice reminder to say that we as filmmakers grow um, and that sometimes the things that puzzle us in the first viewing uh, tend to grow on us. Yeah. And, you know, that's also it works in the opposite direction as well. But a pitch upon where I sat that cool's Uncle Boomi, I think, is an obvious, you know, if you haven't seen it, catch it, catch it before it leaves.
0: Yeah, uh, I think Uncle Boomy was the first of his films that I saw and uh, I just was absolutely transfixed by it. And yeah, it got me very eager to continue to dive into his work. So, yeah, this is a this is a great, great recommendation here.
1: I don't know that I would say any of his films are accessible unless you're already on his (laughs) wavelength, but this kind of does feel like his most uh, accessible film, but yeah, I I would recommend this. Another movie that is unquestionably accessible um, that I would recommend is Sullivan's Travels. Again, this is a movie I think a lot of people have already formed their opinion one way or the other, Mm -hmm. but I point this out. This isn't even... You know, this isn't even in my top two of Preston Sergis films. But the reason I really want to recommend Sullivan's Travels, he does this amazing thing in this movie where he, you know, he's lots of slapstick. He has lots of humor that hasn't really aged well. He has so much going on in this movie. It's really jam-packed. But he has this one joke. He has this one joke that is a running theme throughout the film where it's really like Hollywood insider type humor. And then at the very end, and he makes fun of other directors that do a very particular thing, that make a particular kind of film and take a particular kind of perspective that was prevalent at that time. You know, a lot of people would recognize this type style of filmmaking now if I were to discuss it more. But he makes a joke about this particular thing, making fun of mocking uh, the film style and mocking the directors that pursued the film style in America at that time. And then he completely turns it around and does that style of filmmaking better than almost any other example of that style of filmmaking. It's it's one of the great magic tricks. I hope that I haven't revealed too much in in revealing that. I don't think that I have. But yeah, just a wonderful movie and what an elaborate meta like bizarre joke to make. And you know, for me Preston Surgis works because he will just make jokes that you know, he never panders to. Well, he 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 does plenty that is playing to the cheap sheet, cheap seats, but I think that's just his personality. But he's yeah. never afraid to to make a joke that might go over ninety nine percent of the audience's heads, and it's it's just I don't know. I really celebrate this movie uh, for a number of different reasons, and that's one of them. Definitely catch Sullivan's Travels if you haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, slowly working my way through uh, the Preston Sturgis stuff, and he was a filmmaker that I. I enjoyed well enough, but didn't love. And as I've been uh, coming to his stuff uh, a little later in life, you know, I, I've always been more of a Lubitsch fan, uh, and I still am. I think Lubitsch is probably my favorite of the the screwball directors, but. I have come to appreciate Sturgis and what he does so much more than I thought I would. And uh yeah, I really Sullivan's travels has grown on me so much and yeah, I love the what you describe about the magic trick that he does in this film. It's uh it's really impressive.
1: Yeah, this is gonna be a Sturgis a Sturgis versus Lubitsch fan, uh, a knife fight out behind in the alley after this episode. <laughs> so whoever, that's I right, know Mac Gasteyer right. is going to be on your side and I know that he's, he can be shifty. So I, I guess that's an advantage yeah, yeah. to the Lubitsch fans.
0: <laughs> very, very. <laughs> uh, what are you going to try to catch before uh, the films leave the, the channel? What are some of those things that you just absolutely have to see?
1: So uh, Crisscross, I really want to see, uh, directed by Robert Seadmack. Primarily because Burt Lancaster and Hmm. also because our friend Robert Taylor of the Film Noir Odyssey blog, uh, you know, he gave this film five stars on Letterboxd. So, yeah, if that isn't a if that isn't a stamp of approval for, um, you know, this is a noir I had heard of. And I've been looking forward checking uh, uh, to checking out at some point. Um, my love of Burt Lancaster has just grown and grown yeah. over over the last few years. Uh, he certainly is in the running for just one of the best All American uh, for a guy who also worked with Lucino Visconti, and you know, it's a, yeah. a, a sensitive, thoughtful actor. He's just. He's just like the epitome of the American leading man and, you know, in, in so many of the positive ways from that. But also just he's so much more uh, versatile than that description really, really allows for. I mm-hmm. I, I want to see Burt Lancaster as an actor, even though he made so many films, I could absolutely imagine myself in my life trying to see everything he ever made, uh, sort of like the male version of Barbara Stanwyck, where... Just his name on the film makes me excited to see it. On top of the fact that this film is so well regarded in you know film noir circles, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I will completely echo the the Lancaster love there. Um, he's a film. He's an actor that I I don't know that if that I wrote him off, but I never really gave him his due as i've been watching more and more of his stuff because you know we had the big bundle with him on the the criterion channel uh, a few months ago and as i've been just seeing more of his work i just continue to be so impressed by what he does and watching the swimmer recently um that film just blew me away and and showed me how incredible he is and so yeah i think he's a film he's an actor that I think I will probably continue to watch anything he is in if i if i see that he's in a film i know that i'm going to at least appreciate his contribution to it so yeah this is one that i will when i saw that he was in this i was like oh i i need to move this one up to the top of my queue
1: yeah the fact that the fact that he's so strong in the swimmer i you know i, I Perhaps his best performance that I've seen yet, but then at the same time he's also Luchino Visconti stand-in. Uh, yeah. You know, in the yeah. movies that he, he started for him, and I love Conversation yeah. Piece. Obviously, The Leopard is one of the giants yeah. of world cinema. Yeah, the fact that the fact that both of those are true is uh, is it's kind of amazing. It's yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited to check this out. So another film that I'm really excited to check out totally different wavelength is uh rebels of the neon god i'm gonna mispronounce this i but i looked it up i think it's Tai ling uh sorry for the bad pronunciation i love new taiwanese cinema edward yang mm-hmm. you know i i had like a big bang moment really sort of launching me into uh, my late stage love of movies um and it was powell and pressburger It was Wong Kar Wai, and it was the two films by Edward Yang in the physical collection. And so, Mm. you know, Taiwanese cinema just is like, hit so close to home for me. I love all of that stuff. And so now the opportunity to jump into the second wave, uh, I'm kind of kicking myself. I've waited this long um, to watch these films. I think Rebels of the Neon God jumps out at me as the one I want to watch first just because I love that film title. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been hearing such great things about his films and, uh, yeah, I, I'm sad that I have, uh, slept on them, uh, this long as well, but, uh, yeah, I will be trying to catch as many of these as I can before they leave as well.
1: Josh, what are some of the things that you are excited to catch?
0: Well, I know this is one that you really wanted to talk about and, um, I'm sorry for stealing it from you. I normally try to let my guests uh, do this, uh, take first crack at these, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited for La Belle Noise uh, and I know I butchered that pronunciation, uh, but the Jacques Rivette film. Um, my first Rivette was Paris Belongs to Us, and I absolutely loved that film. I found it mesmerizing. I loved what he did in that and uh I'm you know I'm eager to to kind of take my time through Rivette I don't want to just binge watch uh his lengthy films but this is one that I will definitely try to sit with and watch uh during this month because uh this is one that uh is not not going to be on the channel for a while Celine and Julie go boating is going to be on for a while I have the Arrow Revett collection. So I can take my time with some of his other films, but, um, yeah, this is one that I'm going to, I'm going to take my time with. And, uh, uh, I'm very eager to, uh, to sit down and just, to just spend some time with his films. And, uh, yeah, this is one I'm, I'm very eager for. Have you, have you done much with Revett? Have you watched many Revett films?
1: Only Celine and Julie go boating. I am okay. I am one of those obnoxious people trying to get all of the Sight and Sound top 250 or top 283 or whatever yeah. the list is that you want to look at. And so Out 1 is in my future. But this is the movie, and I don't know if it's just the intriguing photograph that they have uh, on the Criterion channel or if it's the love that I've seen online for this movie. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is that's drawing me to this film maybe the fact that it's not 10 15 hours long
0: it's only four
1: yeah exactly it's only four hours long i'm really drawn to this and i'm looking forward to seeing this as well before it goes out so you know we were talking off mic my fiance runs marathons and you know uh, i'm looking forward to the marathon viewing that i'm gonna i'm gonna have of this film that's my kind yeah. of marathons is 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 watching revet
0: that's right nice uh, I'm also really excited to catch Privilege. Uh, it's from the the Tell Me Women Filmmakers Women's Stories bundle. This is one that uh, our friend Michael Hutchins has uh, highly recommended. He uh, basically has said that this is one of the most important bundles on the channel and has highly recommended this film as, as well. So I take uh, that recommendation very – I take that recommendation to heart and um, – am going to make it a point to watch this. You know, we've talked about trying to uh, watch more films by female filmmakers, trying to watch more films by black filmmakers. I'm really excited that Criterion has this bundle of films by female filmmakers. And so I think it's just important to to catch these films while they're there. And so I'm going to definitely dig into this one. And uh, I'm very excited for that.
1: Oh, great. Yeah, the only one that I've seen so far from that bundle, and I'm definitely going to catch more, uh, is Betty Tells Her Story, uh, mm, which I certainly mm-hmm. enjoyed. It's a fairly understated short film, but yeah, I definitely want to dig deeper into this as well, and so Privilege looks like something that's going to be on my radar.
0: I really want to recommend Eliza Hitman's It Felt Like Love. Eliza Hitman is the director of Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which was a pretty big uh, film this year and will probably be up for some awards come award season. Um, and uh, it felt like love is her first film, and uh, I think it's magnificent. I think that it is a really compelling coming of age story. I think that uh, Hitman is a really she's just really great at capturing um, the the grit and the the tactility of youth and of what it is to be an adolescent and to be growing up. There's something very, um, very real and grounded in what she's doing. Um, she works with a lot of non-traditional actors and, um, there is, there's something so raw and, uh, and unfiltered in what she does. And there's something so, um, Again, very where where so many films about uh, young young women coming of age feels very uh, they're glamorized or they're uh, very uh, you're looking at so many of the uh, the happier moments or the the more sensationalized moments. Um, Eliza Hitman does a really great job of of pulling that out and really looking at all the complexities and the messiness and the, the, the raw and unfiltered aspects of that. And so I just think that uh, It Felt Like Love is a, a really great first f- feature. And you see her kind of beginning to find her voice. Uh, and over the course of her three features, you really see her getting to the point where when she makes Never Rarely Sometimes Always, you see a filmmaker in complete control of her craft. So I think that It Felt Like Love is a great place to see where that begins.
1: Oh, that sounds great.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I am still, uh, uh, an Albert Brooks neophyte, but, um, I have to recommend Albert Brooks. Uh, I put Lost in America on the show notes. And since I wrote my first show notes, I've also watched, uh, Defending Your Life. And, uh, I absolutely love both of these films. Uh, I spoke, uh, Just last month with Becky DeAnna about Albert Brooks and just, uh, I I can't recommend uh, this bundle highly enough. Uh, Defending Your Life is such a wonderful, joyous film and Lost in America is so funny and both films are sharp and witty and uh, I'm eager to to watch the rest of the bundle as well. Uh, but these are these are great films. And uh, I do think that with such a limited time on the channel, people really need to to catch these while they can. So uh, please, please check these out while you're able to. Are you an Albert Brooks fan? Or have you seen many of the Albert Brooks films?
1: I saw Defending Your Life when I was a kid. And I have to admit, it, Becky Dan is going to... Is going to be (laughs) enraged when she hears this, but I haven't watched any Brooks films in a while. And so I'm going to have to think about how I'm going to approach this because this is October. This is horror movie month. And I'm definitely like in a horror movie kick. And I, it's it's gonna be hard for me to squeeze in some you know some uh, yes some intellectual yeah. some intellectual uh, upper middle class uh, highbrow humor so <laughs> I, I you know I'm not sure if it's gonna happen now but I do own the Blu-rays uh, so I know that I'll be and you said what is it Modern Romance is gonna be sticking around for a while so yes yes uh, maybe I'll catch one or two um, but this is gonna cool. be this is a tough one this is tough timing for me.
0: I know, I know. Well, and and if you're a horror fan, the, October
1: is always a hard time to fit in anything that isn't horror, right? Right. Yeah, no, I and I have to say, uh, right now with the election going on and just my compulsion to want to consume all the media about that, oh, I'm finding horror as such a great escape. Watching <laughs> people get killed is such a great escape from the real problems of the world.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, maybe a little cathartic too, right? <laughs> uh, well, in our poll in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group, uh, the things that people were most excited to catch before they leave, uh, a really nice and supr- uh, a, kind of a big surprise. Uh, the number one was the three by Siming Ming Liang, uh, which uh, I didn't expect to see up there at the number, at the number one slot. Uh, number two was La Belle Noice. Number three was Uncle Boon Me. And number four was the Albert Brooks bundle. So uh, I think we have talked about all four of those. So we hit all of the, the big ones that people were excited to catch. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of October. John, thank you for joining me
1: today. This has been so much fun. Josh, it's... uh it pains me that it's taken this that it's been, you know, several months since we last spoke, but it is always a yes. joy uh to chat with you. I love listening to the podcast and um to actually to actually get on and to have a conversation with you is just, you know, it's the highlight of my it's the highlight of my week. Well, except for my, except yes. for my fiance's solo half marathon. That's the highlight of my week. This is a close second. Yes. <laughs> that's good.
0: Well, where can people find
1: you online? So sadly, at the moment, <laughs> I'm a little bit in hiatus <laughs> online. Um, the probably the easiest ways are for people that are on Facebook to find me at Jonathan James. Um, I'm in, you know, Criterion Reflections. I'm in, uh, I'm in, I'm in the Channel Surfing group. I'm in uh, the Criterion Now group. I'm in a lot of those groups. So if you want to chat with me, reach out to me. I love talking about, I love talking about movies. Let me know what you think about Black Christmas, and then. Letterboxd is actually also a Jonathan James. Letterboxd is probably the other place to catch me. Um frankly, I'm just I'm not sure what I want my footprint to be on social media at yeah. the moment. I've already deleted my Twitter account and I'm not sure how I want obviously I want to continue podcasting and staying connected to the people that love movies the way that I do but trying to figure out how to navigate this you know the social media world in 2020 is yeah. not as easy as i would like and so yeah. so sorry guys it's a little bit difficult to catch me now but hopefully there will be uh you know i'll be able to figure out something um where we can chat more in the future
0: well you yeah, know and that's you know letterboxed is a really great way to uh to engage in a way that is uh pretty uh
1: safe in some ways too right right yeah you know, what a, what a great way to help me spend an hour before I decide what movie to actually watch by just uh, creeping on all of my friends to figure out what they like and don't like in movies. Man, yeah, yeah. The, the amount... I could have watched probably another 100 films this year if I had just <laughs> planned better. But yeah, no, Letterboxd yeah. is definitely a, a, a great yeah. resource and one of the bright spots in social media for sure.
0: Well, uh, thanks again for joining me. This has been really wonderful. Of course. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, Cinemacocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of CriterionCast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at Patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the show at Patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show, and for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to continue to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Your support really does mean so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, John and I sit down to discuss the return of art house horror. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.